Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Oztamp, Amy Ever After. Hi. Hello. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. Hello. Um, today on the show, we have a special guest, Darcy Lockman. She is a psychologist and author, and she has a new book out, which is, um, I think, taps into the zeitgeist right now of, I don't know, post-Mother's Day, um, feeling, un I don't know, what? Unappreciated. Unappreciated. There you go. Um, we're going to talk to Darcy about her new book and uh, jump into sort of the myth of the quote-unquote good dad and also the myth of equal co-parenting or modern parenting, which is seriously a myth. Um, so we will be right back with Darcy and then we will have our bites of the week. So we are joined today by Darcy Lockman. She is an author and psychologist. She's the author of the new book, All the Rage, Mothers, Fathers, and the Myth of Equal Partnership. And she had an amazing op-ed in the New York Times, which I felt like got the ball rolling, called What Good Dads Get Away With. And I made air quotes, which I realized were on audio, so that's stupid, but good is in, good is in quotation marks. Um, hi, Darcy. Hi, thanks for having me on. We are so excited to have you on. I feel like this book has hit such a nerve. That op-ed was shared a bazillion times. Um, I can't tell you how many people sent it to me. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I even know her. I get it. Um, and it, it was right before Mother's Day that it was published, which I thought was especially um, perfect and apt for the time. I think this whole idea of um, the good dad, the modern dad we've talked about on the show before, but sort of piercing that was incredibly interesting. Can you talk a little about how you came to develop the book, how the idea came to you? I was really surprised when my egalitarian husband and I became parents and we were both working full time at how much of the work of managing our kids just defaulted to me without him even being aware of it happening. Um, and I saw this going on all around me. All the other full-time working moms I knew were experiencing the same thing and were pretty pissed off about it. And none of us were doing, uh, were proving very effective at getting through to our husbands or causing anything to shift. And in the first years of parenthood, this question was just on my mind all the time. This isn't what we expected. Why are we still living this way? I couldn't get the question out of my head. Um, it really became the most burning question of the early years of my kids' lives. And finally, I thought, well, you know what? Why don't I set out to answer that question? I'm a journalist. I'm a psychologist. I can, I can look at all the research. Um, so the book really grew out of like wanting to kind of break this down and figure out why the expectations that almost everyone I knew had going into parenthood didn't really manifest in any sort of a um, great reality. You know, one of the things that I found just in my personal experience and, and from my mom friends is there becomes this default that the woman is better at it, um, that somehow we innately just organize things and remember everything and um, and then just become more and more pissed about it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you find that in your research that there's this other weird, it's not like a gender norm, like woman should stay home, but almost like woman is more capable? 
Yes, right. W women are more capable has come to stand in for women should stay home. You know, we can't say anymore, women can't do anything else. But we still all kind of have this belief that women are better at it. And one of the interesting things that I found is that that's not true. <laughs> it will not surprise you to hear. Um, both men and women are biologically primed to love and care for small people. Men's hormones change during pregnancy, lesser in degree than women's, but the same hormones rise. Um, neuroimaging studies have shown that the, par the brain activity of parents is dictated not by gender, but by being the primary caretaker. So really parenting is all about learning, which is what that study really emphasizes. We don't have instincts as human beings. We talk about maternal instincts, but it's really a bastardization of the term. That's not what it means in biology. Um, instincts are a set of behaviors that happen um, invariantly among members of a species in response to a stimulus. Human beings don't have instincts. We rely upon learning. So parenting is learned and not innate for males as well as females. Or not. <laughs> right? I feel like we all know people who actually were, you know, really didn't have any, and maybe they didn't have the desire to learn. Um, but it's interesting to me because I, I have friends whose the husband has taken a bigger role in that. Um, and they're not, and they're both full-time working parents, but somehow the husband, I don't know, felt more comfortable being the one stepping up to do the organizing, filling out the stupid blue cards at school. Oh, yeah. Um, and you had a great example in your book, I think of a couple where the dad, the mom was really the breadwinner and the dad wasn't, and the mom was still getting all the emails. Oh yeah. Yep. From school and how horrible that made her feel. Yeah. She felt really guilty. Right, the, the assumption is so so on the side of women are going to be responsible for most of this because it's really what they're good at and it's really what they want. And it's not just schools um, and workplaces. I know that there have been many times when I'm sitting on my computer working and my husband will be playing video games and my kids will come to me with a problem. Yeah. And I'm like, hello, your dad is over there playing video games could you please go to the parent who's not working? And they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, but we go to you for this stuff. Yeah. Well, they, they learn, right? And they learn early kind of who, who is more attendant to their needs. And I think it's so much about the way boys and girls are raised, not even just in their homes, but by society. I mean, we learn that boys are more important. We learn that girls need to think about other people. Uh, we learn that boys are supposed to have agency and girls are supposed to um, consider the needs of others before they're their own. And this really has a long-term effect on us. And it's certainly not something that shifts easily. This is, these are sort of the expectations for, um, for our genders and our culture, and they're really baked in. So how do we combat that? Yeah. Well, my first recommendation is that, that we read the book. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say we, I've read it. My first <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really, I wrote the book that I would have loved to have going into parenthood. I think it would have saved us from a lot of pitfalls. Um, just having a really good understanding that the modern involved dad is a dad. He's not a co-parent, right? We had this idea that dads were so much more involved these days and they are, you know, they're much more involved with their kids. They spend much more time with them and all that stuff than in the fifties. But, um, 
the percentage of actual childcare work taken on by men, the planning, the cooking, the shopping, the laundry, the signing permission slips, that um, the amount of work men did leveled off in the year 2000 without, without ever reaching parity. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, time use diary studies show that women do about 65% of the childcare and men about 35, and that's in two career couples. So this myth of the modern involved father, we took it to be, um, or I'm sorry, it's not a myth of the father, but we took it to mean co-parent and it, it, it was not the same thing. It is not the same thing. So I think to go into, you know, child rearing, knowing that everything is going to default to the mom unless you really stay on top of keeping it otherwise um, and really having a deep understanding of why that is will help people from from getting off on the wrong foot. Um, and I, I've heard from a lot of women who've read the book who are already you know, in it, um, and they have been saying things like they feel really seen and understood, and they thought they were crazy or they thought they were doing something wrong, um, and it gives them like a, a greater leg to stand on with their partner when they're trying to kind of renegotiate the division of unpaid labor in their homes. You know, it reminds me a lot of the Beto O'Rourke um, yeah, sort yeah. of blowback when he thought it was a compliment to talk about how his wife does everything because he's on his like finding himself road trip. Yep. Um, and he thought that was so charming and cute. And yep. then everyone was horrified. Yep. Right. I know he got I was glad to see he got a lot of pushback around that. Yeah. And, and now I saw yesterday Vox is like committed to asking the male candidates who's watching their kids. <laughs> like because women are always asked, you know, when they're at work, like, oh, who's taking care of your children? And men are never asked that question. So um I think it, I think it, maybe Vox just did a story on this, but someone has pledged to commit to asking men that as well, which I thought was great, like just to highlight the fact that it's not asked and why. Right. I mean, it's funny. I just saw an interview on New York One a couple like last week with um, Jessica Alba and Gabrielle Union for their new TV show. And, and he, Pat Kiernan, asked one of them, you know, how are you guys balancing it? And Gabrielle Union said, we decided we're never answering that question. <laughs> She's like, we're That's done answering awesome. that question. Yeah. And she was like, if you like Jessica Alba's like, if you want to ask me how I manage being a CEO of a billion dollar company and this like, sure. She's like, cause I do put my, you know, but it was so interesting. Gabrielle Union's like, until they ask every male actor how they balance all this, we're not answering. And Pat Kiernan was like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's <laughs> like, fantastic. I, I, I've actually heard that before. I came across, I can't remember what writer it was who, who, who said the same thing to someone who asked her that. But yeah, no, fantastic. I love that because it really just highlights the um, ridiculousness of it. And if we don't start highlighting that, then we're just going to stay stuck here. It's so funny because I, um, I, I write a lot about uh, tech startups and, and women in tech. And I did a series of interviews with um, female engineers. You know, how did you get started? What was your path? Did you have a mentor? And my editor kept asking, you know, can you ask them how they balance it? You know, how do they balance their workday and their, their family life? And I'm like, nope, not till we start asking male engineers how they balance it. And uh -huh. I, I just wouldn't ask because it just wasn't, you know, relevant to the conversation at all. Yeah. But probably would be great to ask men, right? Like instead of not asking women because it is a question people have, the, the answer is to start asking men and putting them on the spot to acknowledge how they're able to have the career they're able to have if they have a family. But, you know, it's so funny because when I was at uh, Mashable a few years ago, men, you know, it was right when startups were giving men, oh, 
paid paternity leave, which, you know, women still don't all have paid maternity leaves, but guys were getting a month paid paternity leaves and, and you know, we would be there until our stories were done. And I remember the, the um, editor-in-chief walking out the door one day at 4.30, hey, I'm going to go see my kid in a play. And everyone was like, wow, that's great. It's so uh. awesome that you're leaving early to go do that. And I was thinking... How many days when I was at ABC News, I mean, would I ever stand up and say, I got to leave early today because my kid's, you know, pitching Little League. There's no way. And it feels like men for men, as as we started allowing, as men started being more included in, in kind of this family time, that we were hurrahing and, and yahooing men who actually took the time to do it, where women have been doing this and juggling it forever and hiding it in order not yeah. to lose their standing at work yeah, yeah i mean the double standards abound right <laughs> there's a never a never ending list of them well how do you think moms can start to rectify this like how how can you even approach your your spouse you know other than just like handing him this book and being like read it and then we're going to talk um, yeah which isn't a bad idea well, um. <laughs> women have been telling you that they're following their husbands around their houses reading them passages out loud so that's one way people could, <laughs> could, could go darcy you need an audiobook version that you can just like every time you're in the car together oh we're doing a road trip here you go <laughs> there is an audiobook by the way Oh, good. <laughs> Narrated by Abby Creighton, who did Bringing Up Baby. So you can, you, so you can find that if you want it. Perfect. That's Memorial Day weekend, <laughs> right? Exactly for Father's Day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Passive aggressive Father's Day. <laughs> it's you know it's really hard because I I know my husband and I had a had a tough time with it because I wouldn't bring it up until I was really angry and then of course he mm-hmm. would be defensive and we never got anywhere so I don't know Rebecca you got me <laughs> <laughs> well we're not going to solve this whole problem in the next 20 minutes come on <laughs> right exactly it's funny because I was talking to an economist who does a lot of work on the wage gap and she said you know people are asking always asking her how to solve it and she's like if little old me could solve this problem it wouldn't be a problem so I, I really liked that answer because I thought, oh, I can use that answer. But I do think really appreciating um, how complex the problem is and how ubiquitous it is is a really good place to start. And that, I think that's what the book offers more than solutions. Though I did talk to couples who were navigating this more successfully. And the ones who are are so committed to staying on top of parity. I mean, it, it blew my mind. I mean, it's on one hand, it's so sad that you have to be so committed to it for it to actually play out well. But it certainly seems like that that is the reality of it. Do you think part of it is, I mean, kind of you started with how girls and boys are raised differently. I have found that ironically, um, more chores fall to girls, more expectation of responsibility falls to girls, especially if there's younger siblings, like the, the older girl is expected to help take care of this younger sibling, that it starts young, that boys are sort of let off the hook for a lot of responsibility. Yeah, that's what that's what the research finds. There's an app called Busy Kid. Do you guys know it? You must know it. It You can pay your kid online for chores. Oh, yeah. Like they put their chores in and you 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 um, put send payment to a credit card. But the the app, the research that the app developers did found that boys were actually paid more for the same chores than girls were. So like this, oh the sexism God. is so <laughs> baked into our culture um, and we don't see it. It's not intentional. Uh, and so 
the fact that we don't see it makes it all the harder to rectify. So beginning to see it um, and how pervasive it is seems so important. And you notice stuff when you're raising kids. I mean, I talk about this in the book, but you know, like my, my daughter at one point was asking who all the people on the money were on the change. And I was telling her, um, and as I'm telling her, I'm like, oh my God, they're all men. Like, what does this teach her? You know, and, and there are like a million things like that every day. Um, girls learn they're not as important, that they're not as valuable, that um, you know, all the stuff. And it's not because their homes are particularly oriented toward that. It's just the world. There's so much um, going against us in this way. It was interesting. One of the things you talked about was how even in the workplace that women will volunteer for the crappy tasks that will not lead to a promotion, that don't do anything to really help your career or your position. But when the group is only men, men will volunteer. Yeah, right. So right, men um, men step up just as readily in all male groups to volunteer to perform tasks that don't lead to promotion. If women are around, women are much more likely to step up, and the and, and that's partly because the men are not doing it. So we really understand that women are are responsible for things that are a pain in the ass. And there's interesting research in academia about this kind of thing, and. Um, it's about volunteering for altruistic tasks. And women who say no to altruistic, altruistic tasks take a hit to their favorability ratings. And when they say yes, they don't get any sort of a bump. And the opposite is true for men. So when they say no to performing altruistic tasks at work, there's no hit to their favorability ratings. Although when they say yes to those altruistic tasks, their favorability ratings go up. So it's sort of like the, the opposite. And it really speaks to what we expect from men and women without realizing it. We expect that women will do nice things. So why would they get any sort of a bump if they did them? But when they don't meet that expectation, when they say no, they're, they're thought of more poorly. Wow. Boy, we have such low expectations of men. <laughs> well, we expect men to pursue their own ambitions and needs and desires in a really full and vibrant way. And so they are lauded when they act in those expectable um in the research, it's called agentic. They have agency when they act in agentic ways. And women are expected to behave in communal ways. And when they don't meet those expectations, they're not thought of as well. So yeah, the gender norms are so um, are so baked in and we we live according to them or we suffer the consequences. I so see this in my teenage daughter's um, extracurriculars in high school. Like now when I think about it, like my one of my daughters in particular does all the shit work. And she, like in the things she belongs to, and she has a leadership position, but it doesn't matter. She's also doing all of the grunt work all the time because her and she keeps saying, if I don't do it, nobody will. Yep. And she's with boys. It's co-ed. Yes, yes, yes. Totally co-ed. And my other daughter also just has gotten a lot of flack for not being um, doing enough of that altruistic crap for one of her clubs and has only been called out by one of the guys about it. Um, but it's all the crap he doesn't want to do. <laughs> yeah. And I think about that, like how it's already playing out and how it's not presented as a gender thing at all. Um, it's just like how it is. There are interesting observations in preschool classrooms about boys and girls and aggression. And boys and girls are equally as aggressive I want to say the classrooms are like two-year-olds. But what they've found is that teachers intervene to modulate boys' aggressions 
aggression far more often than girls. And if you think about kids, you know, they want adult attention. If the teachers are intervening when boys are aggressive, they're going to become more so because that's what they get responded to for. Um, and like the, the following year after all of this intervention, the girls are less aggressive and the boys are more so because they've learned what gets them noticed. Girls get more attention for um, for talking um, and more like positive reinforcement. And even though the, it's not positive reinforcement with the boys who are like pushing and shoving, they do get attention that way. So they learn to do it more. Yeah, so, like and, and these teachers aren't doing this on purpose. These are, you know, they're, these are like observers behind a glass window doing studies. So no one's even told what the study is about. It's just like a normal functioning preschool classroom. So, but this is what they find. I mean, the ways that we are socialized are so, are so different. That's so messed up. Like, I just feel like it's so overwhelmingly um, rigged <laughs> against women. It, it, yeah, it is. Oh, I'm so depressed. Now, what do we do? <laughs> well, you know, th the thing is, like, it's communal. There's nothing bad about being communal, about thinking about the needs of others. It's what's what's difficult about it is that it's so gendered and that we don't have, you know, 100% of people like thinking about others all the time. And so these two traits, communality and agency, have been measured over time in our culture. And in the last you know, 30, 40 years, women report more of a sense of agency. It's like been on an ever-increasing slope. You know, and clearly women are um, in the workplace is like totally normalized and women being ambitious is totally normalized. So of course, like our sense of agency has increased as a gender over time. Men's sense of agency has increased a little on a less dramatic slope than women's over the last 40 years. Um, but what has not changed is self-reports of communality. Women still report feeling much more communal than men do. And that as the agency slope has gone up for women, the communality slope has not gone up at all for men. Um, and, and that seems to really be where the problem lies. That's so interesting. I mean, you know, there's so many, um, you know, women empowerment groups and women you know, like lean in and even in schools, like there's a lot of stuff to bolster girls in STEM and girls in all these areas that need to be bolstered. Right. But it makes you wonder, like, we can't do it alone, right? Like if men right. aren't feeling part of a community, I mean, we're seeing the result of that, right? We're seeing how men are finding horrible communities online um, where they're trying to find community and things like that. How, like, it just seems like there's a crisis of of masculinity, yeah, one of the one of the interesting pieces of research I found, there's a sociologist named Bernadette Park, and she talks a lot about how it's it's women who have had to change. Like women should become more ambitious, women should become more agentic. And that has happened, but there has been no focus on how how men might change and become more communal. And she advocates, you know, she actually talks about what you're talking about, about how girls have been so encouraged to become involved in STEM, but boys have not likewise been encouraged to be uh to participate in care work. So she she wants there to be an equivalent of STEM for um, healthcare, education, and um, caretaking. She The acronym she uses is HEED. And she wants to get, you know, she advocates getting like a movement just as there, as there has been for girls in STEM for boys in HEED, which again is it's healthcare, education, I can't remember what the rest is, but she says no one's really interested in pushing heed in the same way that they are in pushing STEM. It's always about how girls can become more like boys, not the flip. It's so interesting because the studies show too, right? The growth in the economy is actually in healthcare and a lot of those jobs um, that all these men who are being put out of work in factories and things like that, this is where the growth is. And yet 
they're not deemed, you know, masculine jobs. Right. It's women's work and women's work is always devalued. Right. It's so ingrained. Before we got on, I was saying to Rebecca that I can't even really say anything in this conversation because my husband makes so much more money than I do. Like that brings a whole other layer to it. You know it. what though? Right. But, and there, there was a theory that, um, what was it? What did they call it? Um, equity. No, it's not equity theory. I can't remember. But the idea was that women do more unpaid labor because they earn less money. Uh, relative resources theory, maybe that's what it's called. But that's been upended because in couples where women make more money, which is now more and more common, the gender dynamic does not switch. So women who make less money tell themselves that. And I can certainly understand why it seems rational, but you should know that that nothing flips. There's no, even when women are the sole breadwinner and men are unemployed, yeah. division of labor at home still does not reach parity. Wow. Yeah, we went through stretches where Corey was unemployed and he didn't do the laundry or make dinner or any of it. Right. I mean, he was unemployed once for six months. So it was bizarre. Like I was doing all the same work and then coming home and making dinner and the grocery shopping. Yeah. You know and what? Like his answer will be just do fresh direct. Like, wow, well then don't do the grocery shop. You know, it's like, yeah, that whole idea then that you should just, you should just be doing things differently and then it'll be easier for you rather than them doing it. Right. And it's so easy to swallow that. Then you don't have to fight. Um, and it's so, right, it's so, right, the, the unemployment thing. But Rebecca, it's not bizarre because that's the norm, actually. I mean, I can see how it would have felt bizarre, but, but you should know the research shows that that's simply the norm. Right. And I think it's the norm because they were also raised that way. Like when I think about Corey, like his mom went back to work as a lawyer for a good 15 years, and I don't think anything in that house changed. I mean, she had live-in help, so it was different, but she still did all the child stuff, you know, taking the kids to the doctors, like, and she wouldn't have had it any other way. Like, I don't think it was ever a question. Um, it's, it is, it just keeps building on itself. It's, I am so worried for my daughters because I see them oh. as the, I will just do that especially one of them. She's like, I'll just do it. It's easier if I just do it, right? It's always easier yeah. if you just do it. I don't know how I'm going to talk to my daughters about this, but I want to talk to them about sexism when they when they see it, you know, and observe it. Oh my God. This is so complicated. <laughs> like, it is. It's really complicated. Well, I don't know what to do about the workplace stuff, but, um, it, you know, because it can be risky for women to speak up and, and be aggressive about these things, which is a totally other problem. But in addition to working on our husbands, it sounds like the place to start is to really make sure that we're treating our kids equally so that going forward, um, they can have an idea of how things can be. I mean, the, the thing about the chore money just blows my mind. Um, so I think we should, you know, that that seems like a great place to focus, even though this book is about marriage. It, you know, it's true, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm kind of defeatist feeling in this way because it's not just in the home. It's all around. You know, how do you like th these are like preschool classrooms where, you know, people where, where teachers are responding to children as teachers do. I mean, there's so there's so much that needs to happen. And I think you can be, re be really cognizant of it in the home and point things out to your kids. And I do think that is helpful. Um, but again, it's so all around you. I mean, my husband and I both have PhDs. At one point when my daughter was little, she said to me, you know, boys are doctors and girls are nurses. And I'm just like, she doesn't know any like medical doctors or nurses. I don't know where she's getting this from. And both of her parents are doctors, like WTF, you know, <laughs> we've been watching Doc McStuffins for like a year. Like what, what is this all about? So 
the the influences are so are so you know beyond the home but you know you are you are right that it does it does start in the home and it's certainly it's one piece of it yeah and i think mostly by example right because i mean i've been there i've been the angry like exhausted you know, mom at the end of the day, who's like, you got to be freaking kidding me. Like I worked all day and now I'm the one like, what's for dinner? You know? And you're like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, or like if I go on a business trip, the fact that I had to not now that my daughters are older, but you know, leave a giant list of everything that happens and find yeah. my co- the coverage for, you know, I was the one who made sure like they got picked up every day and da, 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 and then just told him who was doing what. Yep. Yep. Um, and still had my two best friends on call, right? Like I left all this stuff for him, but just in case, so you guys know my mom's supposed to pick them up, you know, like, yep. Yep. Um, that's the part to me that's crazy. And I feel bad that my daughters see that, like witnessed it. Um, you know, because it there's definitely rage that ties into that. Yeah, I know. I've I've been in that position, and it is really frustrating. And you find yourself asking, "What what have we done? What what have we done here?" Right, and why? And why yeah. in the name of like, because you're the capable one. Like you're supposed to feel better about it, because like you're so good at it. Yeah, you're so good at it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you're so good at it because you've been the one who's been doing it. I mean, you've, you've learned how to be good at it. You've learned how to pay attention to it. And your husband has learned to be, no offense to Corey, um, right. ab- no, oblivious. I, I said to Amy before we got on this chat, I said, I, I don't think my husband has all my daughter's doctor's numbers in his phone. Like, I bet if I asked him, who's their eye doctor? <laughs> oh, yeah. no idea. Yeah. It's so funny because I think men also, you know, while they think they're capable... <laughs> Like my husband, 20 years ago, you know, we were both working in the city and our son was in an after school program out in New Jersey when we moved. And he was the one who got home, you know, in time to pick him up from after school. But if he was on the bus from the city and got stuck and, you know, had to figure out what to do or who to call, he called me at ABC News in the middle of a working newsroom, you know, putting newscasts on. He was like, oh, the bus is stuck. I'm going to be late. And I'm thinking, why are you calling me? Yeah. 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 Call them. Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. just stop everything and call them for you and then call back. And so finally, I just one day handed him the phone number of the after school and a, a friend he could call and was like, here you go. This is right. what you need to know. Don't call me. But then right. that's recently, a perfect illustration of, of the dynamic, right? What you and right. Rebecca both have just said. Because they just, that's what they do. And then I was out with a, a business colleague last week. And it was around dinner. It was like seven or eight o'clock and we were out and her son called her cell phone and I heard her say, I don't know, you're going to have to figure that out. And I thought, wow, that's a really cool thing to say. <laughs> and and she's like, I don't know. I don't know. Ask dad. And she looked at me and she said, my son is home with my husband and he's calling to ask me what's for dinner. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> drinking so, <laughs> I just uh, it's mind-boggling it, it is right yeah it, it is I, I mean I stopped interviewing women I had initially planned to interview a hundred women because that's what Betty Friedan did for the feminine mystique so I thought that was a good um good she was a good role model and but by the time I started getting into the 30s and 40s in terms of my interviews I realized 
uh, they were all exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I wasn't hearing anything new. I was hearing the same exact thing. And the women were awesome that I was interviewing. Everyone was so energized by this topic and had so much to say. But I ultimately stopped at 50 women because I, I thought, well, I'm not going to hear anything new from anyone because everyone, no matter their race or socioeconomic status or, you know, where they fell on the professional ladder, like it was just all the same stories, exactly what you guys are saying. It's, yeah, it's just fascinating, Darcy. I think everyone should read the book. We'll put a link to it on how they can buy it or the audio book, which I'm sorry, if you're road tripping this Memorial Day, <laughs> stick that thing on in the car. <laughs> let your husband hear it. Let your kids hear it. Um, I think it's great and very happy about the success of the book and excited for what, what questions nagging you next. Oh, <laughs> me too. I, can't, I don't have one right now. I miss it. I don't know. You got to attack those preschool teachers, Darcy. <laughs> got to get in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be really popular. <laughs> yeah, your kids are old enough. You can do that now. <laughs> um, but it's it's been amazing to talk to you, and um, we hope everyone picks up the book. It's actually I don't know. It's not such a passive aggressive thing to do for Father's Day. I'm thinking about it since nobody got me anything for Mother's Day, which I talked about last <laughs> week. Um, <laughs> this might be the Father's Day book that gets given. Wait, I got I got something for mother's day do you want to know what i got i got plants from the school plant sale that i had to carry home and within two days my daughter was was yelling at me for not watering them and my husband was telling me i better replant them or they're gonna die i'm like this is just the perfect example of what mother's day is thank you guys But anyway, I'm sorry. Yes, no, this is it's not a passive aggressive present. It's like a do your do your relationship a favor. Right. right. <laughs> I think it makes total gift. sense. It's a generous <laughs> gift. It it benefits future generations as well. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's great having you on. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. We will be right back with our bites of the week. We are back with our bites of the week. Amy, what you got? Okay, I'm going to try to get through this one without crying. Um, It's graduation season, so there's a lot of graduation stuff online. And this one caught my eye on uh, Mashable. Um, This woman, Gina Warren, she's an 18-year-old high school senior in Ohio. And she decorated, you know how people decorate their caps, their graduation caps? They put Mm -hmm. stuff on them so, like, you know, everybody in the crowd can see what it says. And usually it's something funny, you know, something about student loans, whatever. Well, she decorated hers with a QR code. And for those of you who don't know, a QR code is like, it's like that black and white squiggly square thing that when you take a picture, it takes you to a website. And people who took pictures of her cap, were taken to a website that listed dozens and dozens of students who were killed in school shootings and weren't oh able to graduate. God. I'm like crying thinking about it. Wow. And the response has been incredible. She had posted it on her Twitter account and it was shared like, I don't know, more than 300,000 times. And if you read through the comments on on Twitter, um, she's being thanked by friends and family of people that she listed, um, of students from those schools. It's, I just thought it was an incredible gesture. So wow. I'll link to that Mashable story and to her Twitter account. And now I'm going to get some tissues. That's amazing. Cause I was going to say, I just went to my, um, my niece's pen graduation last weekend 
And the coolest hats there were not that. They were the architecture students built buildings on their hats. <laughs> so they march out by major. And they all had these incredible, like, full, like, cityscapes. And... Oh, that's awesome. So the other end of the spectrum. That's awesome <laughs> and doesn't make me cry. Exactly. And they were, and like, you knew exactly who was an architecture student. <laughs> like, like, the buildings are walking down. Um, it was very nice. All right, Andrea, what do you have? That is really cool. Um, okay. Uh, so a while back, months back, we talked about um, Chevy's teen driver package, um, which is something in uh, new cars that can be used to set speed alerts and give parents report cards that track um, their teen's behavior. Well, they found that teens have among the lowest rates of seatbelt use, and more than 70% of drivers try to shift the car into drive within 20 seconds of getting into the car. So they have just this week announced a program or a feature called Buckle to Drive, which I think is really cool. Um, their new Chevy, the Traverse, the Malibu, and Colorado models will not let the car shift out of park for 20 seconds if the ignition is on and the driver doesn't have their seatbelt buckled. So, you know, you get that annoying. Sometimes I even confess to driving home from the gym, which is just one minute away with the car going beep, 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 because my seatbelt's oh, not buckled. I, I know, but the speed limit here is 15 miles an hour. But not everybody is going to follow it. That's true. That's true. So, okay, I'm bad. And teens are bad. And so they have this feature that not only is it going to go beep, 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 but if you try to shift into drive without wearing a seatbelt, an alert comes on right on the dashboard with a message that says buckle seatbelt to shift. So and the radio also is lowered until the drivers buckled up. So I think it's really cool. Chevy says they could expand it to other drivers, but this was a really good place to start. A lot of parents. Why isn't it just um, the default in every car? I don't even well, know. Well, exactly, exactly. And this right now is in, it's not in every car, it's in that teen driver package. But I think, you know, listen, it's one of the things they're studying, which is why they decided there was a need for this. But I think that with all these safety features today, you know, with with the um, the blind spot features mm -hmm. and this the uh you know the car will kind of slow down if you're in cruise control if it senses something we need to protect ourselves right yes i am guilty of driving 30 seconds with the car going beep beep but um you know if i was on the highway at 65 70 miles an hour i would certainly i mean i always buckle up when i leave my community so i think yeah putting it in every car i mean i remember my mom getting in my car once you know she's a city person i mean i was a city person i didn't even learn to drive until i left the city she would get in my car and i would say mom i'm not starting the car until you buckle your seatbelt oh it's fine it's fine so I think that, um, I think, yeah, it would be a great safety feature to put in all cars. But this is a good place to start. City people also have a weird blind spot about cabs. Like, right, I, I somehow if you're in a cab, you don't need a seatbelt. Right. right. I mean, right. you're not even required to put your newborn baby in a carrier if you're taking them home in a cab, which just absolutely, I, I don't understand that at all. Um, but I had a friend who worked at St. Vincent's emergency room back when St. Vincent's existed. And, um, he said one of the biggest things that he treated in the ER was broken noses from people sitting yep. in the backs of cabs. Tell my friend Karen uh. broke her nose, smashed right into the partition. Yep. <laughs> yep. I always put my seatbelt on in the back of a cab. The only car accidents I've ever been in in my entire life have been in a cab twice. Mm -hmm. 
two cabs. Never, I've never been in another car accident, knock on wood, but two cab accidents and not going very fast. I wonder if people also, when they get into an Uber or Lyft, you know, is it like, oh, it's not my car, so I don't need a seatbelt. Although I always put on a seatbelt in a in an Uber. I do too, but a lot of times they don't work. I've had cars where there's no, the, the thing is under the seat, you know, especially oh. in cars where they readjust the seats a lot. You've got to put um, that in the rating. Yeah. That their, their clippy thing that you put the seatbelt into isn't there. I did a blogging event once where they were driving us around in like a big, pink Hummer limo and nobody was wearing seatbelts. And I was so nervous the entire time. I was like, there's, there's nothing protecting us, especially because we're in a limo. Limos are exempt. A lot of limos don't have seatbelts. That's why like Tracy Morgan, when you see these people are these prom night things that happen. It's because nobody has a seatbelt on, but a lot of times limos don't have them. Oh, it's so weird to me. It's terrible because it's just those long wraparound bench seatings and they don't have seatbelts. I don't know why they got exempt. You know, it's lobbying. It's always mo- money's always the reason. <laughs> it's money. <laughs> it's always money. When you don't know, it's always money. Um, all right. Well, that's a good one. I think they just stick it in every car. Stick it in every car. And we'll link back. We can actually link back to the previous um, interview we did on the teen driver package. Yeah. So that's cool. everybody can get their teens safe. Sounds good. Um my speaking of teens <laughs> my bite this week is if you have a graduating high school senior or a college senior graduating um i discovered this gift guy he's he's out of new haven but he comes to new york almost every weekend to this big outdoor market um his website is called americanamemories.com and he has this incredible store of old collectible college pennants from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s when college, these felt college pennants were included in cigar boxes, Hormel Chili, (laughs) um, like all of these companies that used to have these college pennants and they were collectible. So kids would collect all the schools. Um, and they're very cool. They come in different sizes and they're, they're really beautiful. They're felt and they're mounted and framed. Um, and they make a very, very cool gift. And he has really every school you can think of. So we just, we did it for my niece who just graduated from Penn. Um, you know, they have like the old alma mater, you know, the stamps on them, the logos, the mottos. They're like in all these beautiful colors still. Um, They're just cool. They're very retro. And it's kind of a really fun gift to get someone who is looking forward to where they're going to school, if they're graduating senior, if they're going off to college, or, you know, someone who's graduating college, it's something you could kind of put in an office um, if you finally get a job Um, Mm -hmm. or anywhere, really. They're just cool. They're cool and retro and they're kind of cooler than like actual modern you know sort of pennant of your school or something like that so oh that i is... want to get one for my son does does he sell online or you have to go where it's he's totally selling? online you can go americana memories.com oh awesome and you can actually search by university and college um so if he has it you'll see it listed all right well he's gonna get some of my money yeah you can email him and ask you know it's someone i think he, you know he has a lot of the very big schools obviously um those are his main things but you can always email him and say, if you come across a whatever, you know, we want it. Um, but yeah, it's they're really cool. I'm, I'm a big fan. And they come framed. So, you know, just like the flowers in a vase, when it comes framed, <laughs> you've done the work for the person that can just hang it. <laughs> 
Nothing is worse than the rolled up thing in your closet that you keep needing to get framed. Um, so that is our show for today. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. You can find everything we talked about today, including a link to Darcy's book at parentingbites.com and facebook.com slash parentingbites. Please continue to listen, rate, review, subscribe, share our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know if there's something you'd like us to tackle. You can always leave us a message on our Facebook page. Until next week, happy parenting. Bye. Bye. Bye.